ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Chase Diamond, email marketer and founder of multiple companies, and we're going to talk about running a profitable email list today. This episode is brought to you by Zeppelin. Designers are most comfortable in their own design tool, and that's the way it should be. But design files can be complex to other team members, and explaining them takes up time that could be spent designing and building. That's why designers use Zeppelin to organize their screens, show user journeys, and present their files to the team. Sign up for free at zeppelin.io to get started. Hey, Chase. How are you? Thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited. I'm super pumped about this. Thank you. So I said multiple businesses and you have like five, I think we counted before jumping on record. So tell us what you do and what, what are your primary sources of income and joy? Yeah, absolutely. I think income and joy might be separate, but the few businesses <laughs> I run, I run an uh, e-commerce marketing agency. So we've got over 100 employees, about 150 or so clients. I run twice a week free newsletter as well as a once a week paid newsletter. I would run a quarterly events business where we do a virtual event every quarter with thousands and tens of thousands of people all around the world. I'm working on a SaaS business, helping people create better emails in less time. And then I have courses and other info products. I think I got them all. Amazing. So what is your favorite? What is the oldest? Uh, what is the youngest? Yeah, that's a good question. So the oldest is the agency. We've been doing this now for about four or five years. So that's my oldest business. My favorite is probably either the newsletter business or this software I'm working on. I really like educating and connecting with people at scale. So the newsletter has given me a great way to uh, teach people, connect with people, give insight, get insight. And then the software business is kind of stemming from my experience with my agency. Just seeing that creating beautifully designed emails, uh, either A, is complicated and or B, expensive. People either take like a single image screenshot, which I am definitely not for, and they upload into the ESP and they send that. Or, right, they do kind of like a drag and drop modular, they kind of slice and dice things. That's probably the most common. Or there's HTML, which for most people is just not really commonplace just because they're not technical or they can't afford a technical person. So I just think the problem that we're trying to solve there uh, is probably going to be the biggest. So I, I like them all, though, in different times at different points. There was one question I already asked, but now I'm going to ask it on the record. How do you manage it all in terms of time? Yeah, finding the great team and the right partners. So for, for me, I really believe in specialization. For me, I know what I'm great at and I know what I'm terrible at. I'm really good at building community. I'm really good at content and I'm really good at distribution and partnerships. I'm not good at like back office things like, you know, customer support, legal, accounting, finance, you know, et cetera. So for me, I find partners that are good in the areas that I'm not, and really finding complementary skill sets. So I own kind of my area of expertise and my genius, and I don't think or don't touch anything else whatsoever. Let's talk about email lists, and I have a thousand questions to ask you about it. But first, tell us if that's okay, how large is your like core email newsletter business, how many subscribers you have now, and how long you've been running that? Yeah, so I've been running my newsletter for about two years. I've got 32,000 plus subscribers. So those are 
brands, agencies, and freelancers are the makeup. Every Monday, they get an email marketing newsletter. Every Friday, they get a copywriting newsletter. Those are both free. And then I've got about 500 to 600 people that receive a newsletter every Thursday. And that's a paid newsletter all about what email campaigns people can be sending. So two years, about 32,000 subs that receive twice a week, and then about 500 to 600 people, a smaller group that receive a paid newsletter every Thursday. And yeah, I've been, been thinking about that a lot, like how that kind of happened. And I think when you commit to consistently posting content over time and you put out high quality content, people share it. Like a lot of the growth at this point has come more or less organic just through people sharing it. I hear all the time from people that my newsletter is all over their Slack channel, which is kind of an interesting thing to hear. Two years is not a lot of time. Like you shouldn't be saying you do consistent work over a long time because it's not actually that long. How did you manage to grow from zero to 32K? It's a, it's a great question. In two years. <laughs> I think for me, I think about in a couple of ways. Like I see social as a great way to kind of direct and move people towards kind of owned assets, right? So social is rented land, right? It's a rented asset. You typically have to pay uh, Facebook or Twitter or Google if you want to run ads. And oftentimes, you know, the content that you create while it's under your handle, like it's not necessarily yours, right? Like you can be kicked off for any reason or rhyme or reason or maybe even no reason. So I see growing on social as a great way to channel people towards an email and or SMS list. So I've really focused on creating a ton of content every single day, specifically on Twitter, but I disseminate that content on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on BitClout, on Instagram. So Twitter for me probably has accounted for maybe about 50% of that growth. So I have about 70 something thousand followers on Twitter, get a few million impressions per month there. And every time I post a tweet that does well, and everyone's definition of well is, you know, changes. But for me, every time a tweet gets 100 likes, that's relevant to email or copywriting. I'll comment on top of that saying, if you like this tweet, you're also going to love my free newsletter. I send every single Monday actionable email marketing tips and tricks. Join 32,000 other people in the e-commerce industry. Join the link here. And every single time I do that, I probably post that like once a day on a tweet. You know, I'm getting anywhere from five clicks sometimes to like 50 clicks or 100 clicks, depending on how viral the first tweet went. And of those people, uh, my landing page of my newsletter is converting, you know, in the ballpark of like 25 to 35% of people. So it just becomes a numbers game, right? If I can get 100 clicks to my newsletter every day, you know, in theory, I'm going to be growing by 25 or 30 people per day just from Twitter. And then again, as mentioned before, a lot of the growth from the newsletter is organic where people are referring it to all their coworkers or their friends and they're just forwarding emails, which then adds up. So the more people that I'm getting organically, the more people are going to share. It's kind of that whole like one plus one equals three, right? For every person or two people I get, you know, they might invite, you know, half a person, right? Like obviously, you know, a whole person, but you know what I'm saying? Like at scale, not every single person invites one, but multiple people invite a couple over time. So that seeds two questions. One is, how did you get your first 100 subscribers? But if the answer is from Twitter, then I'm going to ask you, how did you get 70k subscribers and Twitter followers, that is? Yeah, so the first 100 were like coworkers, friends, families, and kind of existing platforms. At the time, I started my newsletter, I had also just started my Twitter, like I basically started the two in tandem. Two years ago, two exactly. years ago, not yeah. 20. <laughs> Just two. <laughs> I started both of them two years ago. I started them yes. literally at the hospital when my wife and I were having our first kid. We have we have a daughter. Uh, I literally at the hospital while we were waiting. I was kind of bored. We had our daughter three weeks early, so I had a bunch of stuff to do. 
I created both the Twitter and my newsletter. So those were both done two years ago. And the first 100 people were just coworkers, friends, and family. And then over time, as my Twitter grew, that did as well. And on Twitter, I think there was a couple reasons I grew. Uh, one was no one really ever picked the niche of e-commerce email marketing. It seems crazy now. It seems like every single person is an e-commerce email marketer. But I feel like that happened probably like 12 months ago. So I really came strong onto Twitter with like, hey, I'm an e-commerce email marketing nerd. I've been doing this for the past five years. I've sent billions of emails, done hundreds of millions of dollars in email revenue. So I, I created kind of like this memorable experience. That was one. Two, on Twitter, the way to grow is through threads. I was pumping out tons of threads of, you know, here's how to write a welcome series for non-buyers. You know, here's how to write, you know, a customer thank you email. Here's how to write an upsell or a cross-sell. So I just did like these really dense and rich threads. And I asked my friends that were on Twitter, would you like this? Would you comment? Would you retweet? Right? So threads are the way that grow, but you have to have distribution. So I found other accounts that, you know, I was friends with or people that I knew, you know, from business. And I would just ask them, would you retweet this or comment or like? And I think within the first like couple of days, I hit my first thousand followers. So there's kind of like this roadmap and this rubric where like depending on where you're at. So if you're at like zero to 1000 followers, you need to be tweeting four or five times a day and you need to be like writing like multiple threads per week. Uh, and your mm -hmm. content should be very actionable, no fluff. And it should be very specific to that thing that you're saying on your title and in your bio that you do. So for me, I only ever talked about e-commerce email marketing I, for a long time, never, ever talked about anything else very hyper-focused. So everyone that followed me only would follow me for that. Now, you know, at about 70,000 plus followers, I talk about copywriting, you know, working on the SaaS business, scaling an agency, those types of things. But in the very beginning, you have to focus on one thing. Then when you get to 1,000 followers, you can, instead of doing like four or five tweets a day, you can probably do like three or four tweets a day. Instead of doing like two or three threads a week, you can probably do one or two. And at that point, you still want to be very actionable, but you kind of want to start to slowly implement out some of these what's called platitudes, things that are kind of, uh, I don't want to say controversial, but things that are a little bit more like motivational than they are actionable. So one example I can think about, I had this tweet, I think it had like 1000 plus likes where I talked about like, you know, Apple doesn't sell phones, they sell technology, you know, Mercedes doesn't sell cars, they sell luxury, you know, McDonald's doesn't sell food, they sell convenience, right? I kind of made like a tweet that's kind of like that where some people I guess it was controversial too, that wasn't the point. But that was heavily shared and heavily disagreed with or heavily like agreed with. So those types of things, like as you get some following, you kind of know that those are going to get kind of some juice behind it. And that's going to create more visibility. So that's kind of my Twitter rant. Um, depending on the stage, everyone should be writing threads. The number of threads that you should write over time, you can kind of decrease. And then the content kind of goes from being only actionable and only specific to one topic to you can be a little bit more broad and incorporate a couple other topics as you grow. So I guess we deciphered your growth channels for the newsletter, and that is primarily Twitter and referral. So your newsletter itself, was it on your personal website? How did you organize the conversion process from there once they landed on that newsletter signup page? Yeah, it's a good question. And yeah, so yes, it's like a back URL on my site. So it's like you know, my site backslash chase newsletter or whatever it is. And it's, it's really interesting. I, I've noticed that like part of the reason I've been successful is because I've given a lot of high quality content and I'm, I'm just me. Like I don't over kind of do things like all my stuff is very basic and you can kind of tell when my team does something versus when I do something, when I do something, it's like, it's quick and dirty. It's just there. It's not like overly engineered. 
And that's kind of surprised me. But I think the reason that like I'm able to get away with people subscribing and people joining and people converting on the things I do is because I've given so much value and all my audience is warm. I run virtually no paid traffic. What I do do, which is kind of interesting on Twitter, I will run Twitter ads, but specifically to my own audience. I'll run ads to my own audience promoting content that I want them to see. So for example, you know, if I'm going to run a course promo, I'll have that tweet be shown to my audience for like a week before that I actually drop that promo because I'm now trying to create that buzz consciously and subconsciously that people are going to see my tweet all the same time. So I do run some paid traffic, but it's most of the time specifically to my own audience. So whenever I drop like a lead magnet, for example, I'm going to show that lead magnet to the 70,000 followers on, on my list. And when those people engage and comment and retweet and like, the great thing about Twitter is the organic reach. Other people in their network are then going to see it. So my whole goal is, can I get engagement from the people that follow me? So getting back to your question, on my personal site, I just have a landing page for my newsletter. People always ask me, like, what's your newsletter called? And like, well, I don't know. It's just Chase's email newsletter or Chase's e-commerce newsletter. I was at a dinner two nights ago and people were asking me, like, you know, what's the name of it? How do I Google it? And like, let me just add you. Like, I don't even know what to tell you other than like searching my name slash you know, newsletter, right? So it, it's, it's kind of interesting that way. One other thing to mention that's really been helpful on Twitter to grow my newsletter is this whole concept of adding some kind of value on some kind of like a PDF or resource and making people, quote unquote, earn it. And their way to earn it is liking or commenting or retweeting. And then you send the auto DM. You may have seen this on your feed. But for example, one thing I did a couple of weeks ago was I put together this top five email design secrets resource responsible for $150 million in revenue for my agency. And I kind of break down five tips and tricks that we, we talk about, right? Making sure that your call to actions and a lot of your content is above the fold because people aren't going to scroll all the way through, right? Really making sure that you're optimizing for mobile, making sure that you check your email for dark mode, really making sure that you do all these five things that are going to be you know, 80% of the success you know, for your brand or your clients, right? And I put this resource together and it made people uh, retweet and comment on it. And I had... I think hundreds of thousands of impressions and I collected 2000 emails from it. So what happens is you would comment, retweet it. I would automatically DM you. I would send you to a landing page that has you give me your name and your email. And then I would, I would email you it. So that's another really great way to grow on Twitter. And I'm starting to put a lot of spend behind that for my own followers, just because I can, I'm starting to acquire people for like literally pennies. I'm, I'm acquiring people for like five to 25 cents. And I know based on my monetization, that I could spend all day long because it's going to back out to multiple dollars, if not you know, 10, 20, $100 for these users at some point. Amazing. Let's uh, focus on the monetization part. So obviously you are providing useful content to them two times a week. That is, by the way, very often. And what do you do? How do you balance the give versus ask in those emails? So you do sell them occasionally. How do you organize that? Yeah, there's, there's a lot here. So I think there's a couple ways in which I monetize that I want to talk about. And then I'll talk about like the giving versus taking. So I monetize my newsletters. Uh, one is through advertisers. So in every Monday and Friday's newsletter, I have advertisers, typically SaaS companies in e-commerce or you know analytics tools, things like that, events companies. So I, I charge advertisers that. So I'll do about low five figures a month in advertising revenue off a list of about 32,000 people. So that's my free newsletters. I also have a paid newsletter I mentioned before, about 500 to 600 people. Depending on which offer someone's gotten, they either pay you know, $1 for the first month, and then it auto bills at $49 for the month's two onwards. And that's obviously very transparent. 
So I almost essentially give people a paid trial for my paid newsletter. And, you know, a lot of the conversion there, people stay. I found that like 60 or 70% of the people that take that $1 a month trial end up staying. I have other offers where sometimes around like Black Friday, I'll do like a 50% off of the newsletter for the first couple of months. So they'll pay $24.50 a month. But most people are coming in at $49 per month for that paid newsletter. So again, that will also do, you know, kind of in the lower five figures a month in that. And then outside of that, I sell things like courses. I've had about 2,500 people of my audience actually pay for one or more of my courses. Courses range from $99 one time to $1,497, so almost $1,500. So I've done about seven figures more uh, in the past like year and a half just from my email audience, my Twitter audience on courses. And then I have events business. So all of our events that we do, we have thousands of people buy tickets and then they buy recordings. So those events do... 30, 50, $70,000 in profits every quarter from the, the newsletter. And then I have an agency, right? So I also get clients from the newsletter, even though I never promote the agency. So that's kind of how I monetize the newsletter. And then in terms of like when I ask for it, so every Monday and Friday, I don't ever promote any of my own stuff. I'm only promoting advertisers. Once in a while, though, I will promote my Thursday newsletter. I'll let people know, hey, here's one of the campaigns that you would be getting if you were on my paid newsletter. And you're actually missing two. If you want to opt in and see the other two plus get others every single week, you know, join the paid newsletter here. So on Thursdays, I'm sending three campaigns to the paid newsletter. I might take one of those campaigns every couple of weeks, every couple of months and send it out to the free people. So that way they can kind of see the format and the style. But it's kind of a teaser. It's like, hey, you're only getting one of three and you're not going to get this again for a couple of months. You should opt in here. So typically every month, there's eight content or value-based emails. And then I probably send about two to three promotional or sales emails. So I've built out automations in place. So after someone opens 10 emails, they'll receive the first drip sequence on my paid course. And then from there, whether they buy or not, they'll receive three or four emails over three or four days about that. So I'll go, I'll go pretty aggressive for about three or four days promoting my paid course after people have opened 10 emails. And then once people finish that, I'll tag them as converted or didn't convert. The people that converted they go into like a customer thank you and I introduce them to other products. The people that don't convert, I'll then after they get to about 15 to 17 emails that they've opened, I'll hit them with other products that I have basically down sales. So the, the product I normally send to them is a 749 one. And then I'll basically kind of mix and max two weeks later. Essentially, hey, here's a here's a $99 product. Here's a $497. Here's a $297. Here's my paid newsletter. So I basically build out automations that are hitting people automatically depending on the actions they do or don't take. Open, clicked, purchased, you know, those types of things. What's your platform of choice for those? So I use a bunch of different tools in the stack, you know, for like courses and whatnot. I use Podia and Gumroad for my newsletter. I Because I spend so much time in Klaviyo, I just use Klaviyo for my newsletter, although it's not intended for that. Klaviyo really is for e-com. But I've been in that platform every single day for more time than I want to admit for the last four or five hours. So I just use Klaviyo for the newsletter. I use a lot of like Zapier integrations because most of the tools I use don't speak natively with Klaviyo because it's e-com focused and all this other stuff I'm doing is like course and kind of B2B focused. So I use those, you know, for our, our events, we use like Kartra. So there's a bunch of tools. I'm actually probably paying for like 10 tools at this point that help me run my business between newsletters, events, courses, et cetera. You describe different ways to monetize. Which of them are good for those who are starting out and which of them are like not for the weak of heart? 
That's interesting. So one thing that I personally don't do a lot of, I don't do a lot of affiliate. I've got so many things I'm pushing and selling of my own that I don't do affiliate. I think when you're first starting out, doing affiliate probably makes sense. And then from there, if you can prove that you're able to drive conversions and sales, you probably can go directly to the companies that you're running affiliate programs for, or you can go to similar companies and kind of show them your proof and kind of your track record. So I think early on, like uh, affiliate is an obvious one, just because like no one has to give you permission. Like you can just go to sign up for an affiliate program and promote, you know, whatever you want. I think also having like your own info products is easy and helpful out the gates to be able to promote those because it's whatever someone's subscribing to, they're interested in your content for a reason. So if you have a paid course that kind of goes above and beyond what you're giving out for free, there's inherently going to be some congruency. And when there's congruency, it's going to be you know, easier for people to convert. So I think those are probably easier out the gates just because the friction level is so low. I think as you scale your audience over time to thousands, maybe tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands, I think that becomes more exciting and more interesting for advertisers that want to pay you on a flat fee or like a CPM basis. For me, I just charge a flat fee of $12.50 per edition. And that is basically how I do it. So every month, you know, I have basically eight ad slots at $12.50. So that's how much I do on just advertisers. Sometimes I'll actually be able to negotiate to like the $12.50 plus like a rev share with certain people. So I'm able to make more as well. So I think as you scale, advertising becomes interesting. I think partnering with SaaS companies and you know potentially getting like advisor equity or kind of performance-based equity on top of those types of things also is more attractive as well. There's a couple of companies that because I built an audience and because I drove so much sales for them, they've actually made me an advisor and you know I have kind of custom deals with them. So I think that's kind of how I think about it. In the beginning, you have to go for the lowest friction and maybe even the beginning too, like maybe you shouldn't monetize it, right? Like that's kind of this question. Like when you're really early on, only a few hundred subs, I, I never monetized it until I had like 20,000 plus subs in terms of advertisers. I did some courses and whatnot earlier, but in the beginning, I think you need just feedback and you need trust and you need goodwill and then worry about the monetization as you grow. So I, I think that's kind of like something you have to ask yourself too is like, do I need the money right now or will I be in a better spot and have more goodwill with my customers if I wait a little bit longer until I've proven myself? What are the things that you never do? And one of them you mentioned, you have like your sacred content days, <laughs> sort of, that you never promote stuff. What, what else do you not do to your list that you see that other email newsletters do, which doesn't resonate with you? Yeah, I think a couple of things. Like for me, I've never been a fan of like daily newsletters. Like I'll never send an, a daily newsletter. I just think that's kind of an overkill. Not that it's not for everyone, right? Like I think some people can get away with it, but I'll just never do a daily newsletter. While I do sell advertising, I don't sell my data. So the 32,000 people I have, I've never sold that list, nor will I ever sell that list. I'll obviously sell to them, but I won't sell their data. I think those are like the big two that stand out for me. It's like, I'll never send a daily email and I'll never sell people's data. Speaking of cadence, you publish two times a week. How much is your team helping you at this point and how much did you do yourself? Like what's the ratio? I publish twice a week and I'm pretty stickler for the most part on like sending around the same time. So typically every Monday, and it doesn't always end up being perfect now that we're two years in, but I try to send right around like 10 or 11 o'clock AM PST every single Monday, kind of create like this pattern, this behavior that like people know at this time, every single week, you're going to be there. And then every single Friday, I send my uh, Friday newsletter at 8 AM local time. So some people are receiving it actually Thursday for me, which is their Friday morning, because I've got people in the US as well as overseas, right? People on the East Coast are receiving it three hours earlier than me on the PST. So I send that typically every Friday at 8 a.m. local time. I don't always hit that, 
but that's what I try to do. So I think being consistent in the days and being as consistent as you can with the time is really, really important. In terms of like the breakdown of me versus my team, the Monday newsletter, that's like my kind of newsletter I've been doing since the beginning of time. Uh, that's me every single week. I'll never outsource that one. On Friday, it's kind of like this newsletter that I get. And it's called Alex in my inbox, which is kind of from this, you know, Alex guy. Uh, it's something that, you know, he kind of sends me and I kind of work with a little bit. So it's kind of like a, a tug and pull of, you know, getting it kind of from someone, some editing, making sure it looks good, adding my own spin to it. So my, my Friday newsletter is some other people than just myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry for asking such intimate question. I should like not expect an honest answer here. We might no, have fans on the list now. <laughs> you're good, no worries. <laughs> How do you feel this content treadmill? Is it bringing you down or are you like, is it part of your personal DNA by now? Yeah, I, I'm an email guy through and through. I've been doing this uh, in some shape or form for like 10 to 15 years. The way that I actually got into marketing, and, and this is a slight tangent, but the way I actually got into marketing was at the age of 13, I got really sick. And for an entire year, I kept getting misdiagnoses after misdiagnoses. And at 14 years old, I learned that I had Crohn's disease. And Crohn's disease is inflammation of your digestive tract. There's about 1 million people in the US that have it. So a really small number of people. And I, mean, I took it upon myself as a 14-year-old to dedicate my life to raising awareness and fundraising for this disease. So from 14 to 16, you know, I was doing restaurant fundraisers. I was taking ads out in the paper. I was sending emails. I was sending AIM. I was calling friends' houses. So I really learned guerrilla marketing kind of through that. And then at 16, I became like the youngest board member of this top charity for this disease. So that's kind of how I learned marketing. So I think the fact that like content and community and distribution and awareness has kind of been in my DNA since I was like a teenager. Like doing this gives me energy. Like I really deeply do care about giving to people. And obviously, you know, I've been fortunate enough to receive as well, right? Like, like a lot of the revenue I've made from this has changed my life. Like my wife doesn't have to work anymore. Like it's allowed me to accomplish things I've never, ever thought were ever possible, you know, kind of coming from the family that I came from. So for, for me, like, I don't know, it's the thing that I enjoy doing every single week because it's an outlet for me to channel what I'm learning and give to people that are learning and on their journey as well and trying to serve people uh, creatively between beginner, intermediate and advanced. I want every single level of people to have some kind of involvement and engagement. So it's been challenging, but it's been super rewarding. Where do you find that new learning and new inspiration now that you mentioned that? And wow, what a fascinating story. Like I always ask people for their background today for some reason. I shaped the question differently, but I should have asked for a background story because you have a brilliant one. <laughs> so the inspiration and the learning. Yeah. So I think a couple of things. So I haven't been as active lately, but I also have a podcast. So the podcast for me has been a way to find interesting people that I do or don't know and to be able to ask them questions that not only my audience cares about, but also selfish questions that I care about. So I think having a platform, just like you have a platform, is really important to be able to find nice, cool, fun, interesting people and learn from them. That's one. Two is the quarterly events business I have. Again, same type of thing. Every event that we have, we have anywhere from like eight to 50 speakers talk. And they're typically people in SaaS, B2B, e-commerce, and they're we're picking the topics in terms of like the overarching categories. So we'll have like email marketing and we'll have SMS and we'll have SEO and all these different types of things. So, you know, I guess basically got to attend and kind of interview all these people and learn from them for free. I also try to speak and attend like events when I can as well. So yeah, I spoke at an, I spoke at two events so far this year as things are kind of opening back up. So just being in the room and kind of getting to coordinate with speakers because you're kind of at the same level, right? Like I'm getting to 
meet and mingle with people that like I've looked up for a long time. And because I happen to have speaker on my name badge, for whatever reason, it's okay if I go pick their brain, right? So I think just by associating myself and having a platform in which I'm giving allows me to also just learn. And then I also sign up to, I'm probably at this point on thousands of people's newsletters. And I'm an e-commerce email marketer right now, but I'm on newsletters for like politicians. I'm on newsletters for like a really hardcore direct response. I'm on newsletters for like info products. So I just study like what I see and I kind of try to like reverse engineer like why someone's sending something. And a lot of times like I have this rule where like I won't open emails for the first week because I want to see what people are going to resend. A lot of times people are resending emails to non-openers and you're kind of seeing like what subject line they sent on the first one versus what subject line they sent on the second one. And from time to time, (laughs) you see people sending the same offer, you know, then offer is working. So I've just gotten really strategic and really smart around like understanding like why people do what they do and figuring out like how do I take this learning from an industry that's totally unrelated to mine and apply that to what I'm doing. And one interesting thing I was learning about the other day, which sounds silly that I didn't know this before, but there's this concept of like a, a decoy effect. And, you know, for example, if you go to the movies, uh, if they were just to sell you like a small popcorn and a large popcorn, you probably would go with the small because the small was $3 and the large is $7. However, if they introduce this medium bucket and the, they'd say the price is like $6.50, you're then going to go towards the large at $7. You're like, I won't pay $6.50 for a medium. It's only 50 cents more for a large. So I just start learning and, and trying to find these things that like I should know about that are psychological hacks or psychological tips. I try to figure out like, well, how do I apply that? And now I'm thinking about like, okay, you know, at our agency, you know, if we only have two pricing models, maybe I need to implement a third in the middle to push people towards one or the other. So it's just, it's just really interesting to see like the psychology and the behavior. And I've become obsessed with that. Like, what are the things that get people to do the things that you want them to do to help them help themselves, right? That's kind of where I'm coming from. Like, I don't want to be manipulative, but I know that like certain things I'm giving out for free, if I just get people to open and engage, they're going to be better off. So how do I get them to open and engage, right? You know, you mess with things like the from name. You really make sure that your deliverability is on point so that way you're in the inbox, not the promotions. You have to optimize the send time, right? The send time actually has a drastic impact on whether someone opens or clicks or what they do within the email. Uh, really making sure that the subject line and the call to action mirror one another. So that way, again, if you got someone to open with the subject line, you know, you could probably get them to click by having that subject line being mirrored in the link. So I, anyways, I can go on, on and on, but I just love reading and studying psychology. And it's so applicable to marketing. And I don't think people realize that as much. Now that you mentioned promotions tab and uh, the inbox, how do you even trick Google and other providers? Because everything that has an unsubscribe link would go into promotions and you're sending it using an automated tool. I am hoping you have an unsubscribe link in your emails. Do you? Of course, of course. <laughs> okay. yeah, no, we're, we're very compliant. Everything we do is above the book. So we have the unsubscribe link, you know, the address, all of those types of things. It's visible, right? It's, we're not like hiding it in, you know, really low white font. On white. Or, yeah, white, <laughs> white on white. Yeah, white on white. No, that's that's the worst thing that you can do, right? Because if people can't find the unsubscribe, they mark you as spam. And the, the ding that you get on your wrist for the mark as spam is going to sting a lot more than the unsubscribes. So for the mark to spam, I believe you're allowed one out of 1,000 complaints. Now with unsubscribe, you're, you're allowed a little bit more leeway, right? So you, you, rather, you would night and day rather the unsub than the mark as spam. And it's pretty interesting. Like the unsub for my newsletter is typically 0.1 to 0.2%. So it's, it's very low. Like I'm having, you know, a tenth of a percent of people opt out every, every couple of weeks. Most, even on sales emails, like it, it normally goes from like 0.1 on a content email 
to 0.2. So it technically doubles, but it's still like, you know, two tenths of a percent. Oh, so but sorry, sorry to answer your question. How do you hit the primary? Again, there's no silver bullet. It's no guarantee. But with my newsletter, it's all plain text. Typically, I do have a logo, but it's typically all plain text. Uh, normally, the link that I'm promoting typically is the link that I'm sending from. So chasediamond.com, right? So my link typically is following the structure of chasediamond.com. You know, typically, I'm asking people to reply or click or engage pretty early on. You know, if anyone ever doesn't get my email because I sent it the same day and time, they know where to go look for it. You know, if it ever goes to the spam, which I don't think it does, people mark not spam. They'll drag from promotions to primary. So I've kind of taught my users through, you know, tips I've given and also just asks that I've made to engage. Uh, when I was 15 happened, I did a really big push around making sure that people clicked a link in my email. So I knew that they wanted to receive it. So I got, I think, a lot of like good buzz and kind of good karma and will from that. My, my newsletter typically averages about 35 to 40%. Again, I know there's some slight inflation potentially because of iOS, but my click-throughs normally are like 2 to 4% on, on kind of sales and content emails. So I think long-winded, like people understand like the from name, right? It's just my name. They want to receive my emails because they're typically getting goodies. I've optimized for send time. I have the same days and times every single week. And then people click, they reply, they engage, I respond back. So a lot of things I'm doing are like, uh, personalized, human, real. I'm not being, you know, baity. So I think those are some of the ways in which, like, you can't guarantee primary, but you can hopefully guarantee not being in spam. Can you give any tips on running a paid newsletter? And if uh, paid should always go hand in hand with a free one, which probably it should. And any tips for people who are starting one? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So I on my paid newsletter, I'm coming up literally on my 100th edition. So once a week, so I've done it for 100 weeks. So 100 weeks. So I'm, yeah, I'm pretty close to, I started my pays newsletter, I guess, pretty quickly after my free newsletter, which I don't think I realized. So I probably started my free one two to four weeks ahead of my paid one. And a lot of the paid one was kind of requests that I got from people on the free newsletter of things that they wanted to see. And everyone's biggest struggle in e-commerce and everyone's biggest struggle, I think in general is like, Sure, I know I need to send emails, but what in the world do I send, right? So I came up with this paid newsletter of like, hey, if you want to know what to send, if you want to outsource your campaign content strategy to me, you know, it's $49 a month and I'll send you 12 campaigns a month. Every week, I'll send you three campaigns that you should be sending the following week. So for me, when I was thinking about like the content that I create, the things that I'm already doing in my agency, right? So in some sense, I'm kind of double dipping. Like, you know, we're working with over 100 clients, right? We, we're sending hundreds and hundreds of campaigns a week for me to pick 12 a month is pretty easy. And I'm able to see based off micro macro data, which campaigns are performing well and which campaigns have performed well historically. So for me, I, I figured out based off of talking to subscribers and understanding because I am in some degree kind of the, the consumer of what I would do. Like I used to struggle with this too when I first started my agency. I didn't know what to send. But because we worked with so many clients and we got so much feedback, I've seen now what works and what doesn't work. And we've built up this massive, this massive like library and swipe file. So I think in terms of like, yeah, it has to be related in some degree to what you do. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. But like, for example, like if I'm an email marketer, you know, I don't think I'd ever do like a paid newsletter on like paid advertising just because like, it, I, I don't know a single thing about it, right? So it would have to be probably retention related. I probably could get away doing something like around SMS or potentially push notifications if I had experience with that. But finding something within what you do, I think is the, the easier one. And there's tools out there that people use things like Substack and whatnot. 
I didn't want Substack taking 10% of my fees. So I basically kind of hacked it together. I use Klaviyo to send it. And I use a platform called Moonclerk to charge people on a subscription. So people hit a order page, they opt into a subscription. Moonclerk passes that data over into Klaviyo of who should be receiving this content. And I basically set the email up as uh, an automation every week. So I just flip it live every Thursday at 11 a.m. PST. And that way, anyone that purchases it between that week and the next week will at least get content right away. So that's kind of how I, I approach it. In terms of promoting it, I briefly mentioned it before, but over time, I'll basically take the paid newsletter, I'll kind of parse it down, and I'll send it to people and show people this is what it is, and this is what you're missing. So it's transparently showing people, like, if you were to get this, this is what it looks like. And here's the element of FOMO. You're only getting one of three, and you're not going to get any more this month, right? Unless you opt in or convert. And if you want to convert, I'll actually even let you in the first month for $1. And then from there, it's going to rebuild at $49 per month. So I'm just testing different offers and different ways to plug in and promote it. That's really interesting to people. So at least try it. So I've seen people that have tried it. I've got you know dozens of people that have been on it for almost 100 weeks, right? I've, the churn on it's very low. If you send one campaign that I send you, uh, you're going to make more money than $49. And I think that actually is probably the most underrated thing. When you have a paid newsletter, if you can help people, A, save time, uh, B, make money, or C, save time and make money, they're going to be <laughs> okay paying you, right? So that's how I think about it, right? It's like when people pay you something, they need to be getting something of equal, but hopefully greater value. I really think I could be charging $4.90 for my newsletter. So I really think that the value people get from my newsletter is a 10x. And I think that it's really important to getting people to give you a chance. And that's even more important to the retention of your product. If you could give yourself advice to, to yourself two years ago when you were starting out the newsletter, what would that be? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the biggest thing that I see people getting wrong is they throw in the towel too early. Whether that's with a newsletter, whether that's with a Twitter account, whether that's with a new business, they think that like because they think other businesses were like an overnight success that they're going to have like instant gratification and instant kind of growth. And for me, like, look, I got the first 100 people pretty quickly. I got the first 1000 people probably like a few months in. But like, I didn't start seeing kind of the compounding effect and the snowball growth until the past like six to eight months. Like I probably have gone from like 20 to 30,000 plus people in the past like six months where it took me, you know, 18 months prior to get to 20,000, right? So over time, things compound, but you have to give your enough runway enough time to be able to allow things to compound. I feel like people are so close and they don't realize that they're that close to seeing what's going to grow and what's going to compound because they give up. So I think for me, um, sticking with it is one. Two is I think finding other newsletters of similar size or slightly bigger and either A, uh, bartering, right? So trading kind of cross-promoting, I think was an underrated way to grow. I think even potentially paying the right newsletters to help you grow uh, is important, but you have to understand that your metrics. You have to understand what you can acquire a user for and what a user is worth to you. Uh, before this, a uh, couple of years back in 2017, I grew and scaled a travel series from zero to 500,000 subscribers in 10 months. And we learned pretty quickly that through paid advertising, we just could not back out the math. We could not be profitable acquiring someone at one, two, three, four dollars a sub because they're only worth half of that, right? So you really have to understand your unit economics. So for me, you know, if I could acquire subs at a couple dollars now, it makes sense for me, right? Because I know that they're going to stay for six, 12, 18, 24 months. I know that through advertising, you know, over time, I'm going to make up for them. I know a good percentage of them are going to convert into buying a paid product for me. I know some of those are going to convert into the software I'm launching. So for, for me now, 
I'm okay spending because I know what a user is worth. I think that's a big mistake people make too, is they run paid ads. They're like, dang, this is super expensive. They keep running the paid ads and then they run out of money and they can't monetize it, right? That's that's some beautiful math, but I'm still curious. How do you know how much exactly one subscriber is worth? Because, you know, have different products in your lineup and the LTV is like the most mythical metric in the world. So how yeah. do you calculate that? Yeah, I keep it really simple for myself. With our e-commerce clients, it's a little bit easier to see like, you know, paid spend and those types of things. But for me, I literally look at, uh, you know, subscriber growth, subscriber churn, you know, existing subscribers and overall revenue made from things outside my agency. So any of my like courses, my advertising, my paid newsletter, any of the things that I make from the newsletter, I look at, okay, you know, last month I made, you know, $100,000, let's say, and I had 30,000 people, right? So to, to me, in, in theory, right, like every single person is worth, you know, $3, right? And, and obviously you have to factor in things like people that join, people that churn. So I kind of just do rough math and I'm like, okay, you know, if I can acquire people less than, than this and I can increase the prices of my other thing and I know how long they're going to stay too. Like most of my subscribers stay at least a year. So I know, right, I acquired them for $3. I'm going to charge, you know, I'm going to make, let's say $10,000 this month in advertising just on this base alone. You know, you kind of do the math of, okay, 30,000 people divided by 10. So I've kind of got like these like different formulas I run on like what an advertiser is worth to me or what a subscriber is worth to me strictly on an ad dollar basis. What a subscriber is worth to me on a course basis. Like how many new people are buying a course and of those people, when did they join? Or these people that have been on my list for a while. So I've kind of got like all these spreadsheets I run to kind of factor it out. But the, the most simple thing I look at every single month, high level is like how many people in, how many people out, what did I spend? What did I make? Just to keep it really simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the last questions for today about the list hygiene, and uh, you mentioned you have. Did you mention you have thirty forty open rate on your email? Uh, yeah, typically it's like thirty percent, forty percent. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty high for such a big list. Do you do anything to keep it that way? Well, except for publishing awesome content, obviously, but still. Yeah, I do a couple things. Uh, there's two things I typically do. One is I leverage exclusion. So every week I send to. Uh, my my full list, excluding people that haven't opened, uh, that received the last 10 emails and haven't opened or clicked or purchased or done anything of those. So for me, typically, uh, because I send, let's say, eight content emails uh, a month, you know, and then I send a few sales emails, you know, if after a month, someone's not open, they haven't clicked, they haven't bought, they're kind of useless to me, right? Like the chances of them doing anything of value in the future is relatively low. So what I'll do is I'll drop those people into an automation, which is like a one or two last emails, kind of a last ditch attempt to get them to open or click or engage. And if they don't do any of those things, I add a tag to their profile that says unengaged equals true. And then I'll go in, you know, every month or every other month, and I'll just suppress those people. So that way I can save money on my ESP bill. So I basically have an automation set up based off a segment that's dynamically being updated. And I'll while I haven't gone in for the month and manually ex, kind of excluded or kind of suppressed them, I'll just have them on an exclusion list. So like, you know, I have like 32,000 subs on my list. I'm actively mailing like 29 or 30,000 people. So I need to go get rid of like one or 2,000 people pretty soon. That's some great advice. And I'm glad that you are brave and reasonable about parting with people. And so so, so the same with uh, unsubscribes. It's really normal that when you do send something out, people do unsubscribe. That is like um, yeah. very, very point of, big point of sadness for somebody who's starting out. They're like, oh... <laughs> Yes. But it is normal. Uh, however, the more often you email, send emails, the, the less the subscription rate because they're used to seeing your emails, right? And yes. 
If you send something out of the blue, <laughs> then <laughs> welcome big unsubscribe rates. Yeah, there's. I think there's four mistakes that every brand, uh, at least in e-commerce, that see, see make, and this is probably applicable to others. I think one is they either don't have any email collection, like a pop-up or a fly-out, or, or two, on that note, it's not optimized, right? Like most people are probably getting like sub three or four percent opt-ins on their pop-ups, right? In, in e-commerce, and like with a lot of our clients, they're getting like six, eight, ten percent opt-ins because we're we're very aggressively testing offers. We're testing when it's shown. Is it shown when people first show up? It probably shouldn't be. Is it shown when people scroll a percentage of the page or X number of time on site? Or is it shown on exit intent, right? So that's one. So people either aren't leveraging email collection form, or if they are, it's nowhere near optimized. Number two is they're not sending nearly enough campaigns per week because they're afraid of unsubscribes. They themselves put themselves in the consumer shoe of, well, I don't want to receive two or three emails a week from a brand, so therefore I'm not going to send it. The easiest, lowest hanging fruit to make more money for a brand in e-commerce, at least, is to send more campaigns per week. But with that, the biggest mistake people are making is there's no segmentation. They're just batching and blasting their whole list without regard for customer, non-customer, engaged, unengaged, uh, this geography versus that geography, this gender versus that gender, right? There's like a whole suite of things that we look at to figure out, you know, whether someone is eligible to receive an email or not. And then you kind of back, like campaigns and segments are correlated. Sometimes we'll pick a segment and then we'll, we'll do a campaign around that segment. Sometimes we'll pick a campaign idea and then pick the segment that matches that. So again, not having an optimized form is one, not setting enough campaigns per week. Um, most of our brands send two to four campaigns per week. And obviously they're segmenting. So that doesn't necessarily mean that one person is going to receive all two to four. Someone might receive one or two or three of those emails potentially. And then the last thing that people make mistakes of is either A, not having automations in place. Or B, they set it and forget it. You don't know how many times I've been on a call with someone. I'm like, hey, well, how is your welcome series performing? Or how's your abandoned cart performing? Or how's your customer thank you performing? Like, I don't know. I haven't checked it in six years. Or I don't know. We haven't updated in the last three years. So I think those are like the four biggest, biggest mistakes. Be better at collecting emails. Send more campaigns than you think. But make sure that you start small. Send one campaign per week. Monitor things like open rates, click-through rates, conversion rates. Also, you want to focus on the negative things, monitor the unsubscribes, the bounce, the market spam. If those are all in line with industry averages and you can find the industry averages pretty easily online, send a second campaign per week, right? And you kind of scale up from there. Get to that right cadence of maximizing engagement, but minimizing churn, right? You don't want to send so many campaigns that you have through the roof unsubscribed, but you also, to your point, don't want to be so afraid of unsubscribes that you don't send enough. You want to find that sweet spot where you're making money and you're growing, and you're okay with the unsubscribes, right? Should be in line with your industry. And then from there, the last thing is like, you should be constantly updating, editing, optimizing your automations, adding new emails to existing ones, running A-B tests on existing emails, adding completely net new flows, and making sure that you're segmenting your list. I think that's like the biggest piece of advice I could give for people that's probably applicable to most industries. Yeah, the last one, basically nobody does. Like nobody likes to vis revisit their campaigns. Hardly ever segments uh, well. And yeah, man, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for amazing advice today. Um, where can people find you online if they want to hear more? Yeah, I think Twitter is probably the best place. Every single day I'm dropping email marketing tips, copywriting tips, threads, things like that. My handle is Ecom Chase Diamond, and Diamond is just D I M O N D. So Ecom Chase Diamond, no A in Diamond. <laughs> awesome. Well, and I know you're working on a new SaaS product. If you can give us like an elevator pitch on that in case someone yeah. wants to learn more. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. The really high-level pitch is I'm building an email platform called emailup.com. And essentially, it's going to help people create beautifully designed emails in only a couple of minutes. So I'll be able to create high-converting emails. It's a WYSIWYG kind of module on the front end, so drag and drop on the front end, and exports HTML on the back end. You can export directly into an ESP, or you can export the HTML file. Tons of beautiful templates, super easy to use. And that is emailup.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Chase, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you.